Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Rick. Um, and if we've not met before, please do grab me after the meeting. I'd love to, to say hello and get to know you. Um, this morning, we are continuing our series, Gifts, uh, exploring 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. And so far, uh, you can check all this out online. All the talks are on there. Uh, but we've examined uh, many different gifts that uh, the Holy Spirit gives us that Paul writes about in his letter to the Corinthian church here. But today is our penultimate message in the series. You can say, ah. Oh. Oh, I know, thank you. Um, you didn't have to say that. But... <laughs> And, and so penultimate, I'm going to start pulling together you know, some of these gifts and start to see how they operate as a whole. Um, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, uh, Chris spoke about worship and uh, reminded us about how the Apostle Peter says that when we bring our contribution, we are like living stones building together the spiritual house of God. And here another Apostle, Paul, uh, uses a similar image to describe the church in Corinth, and by extension us, as he describes us as the body of Christ. I'm going to be reading from uh, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, verse 12 through to 31. Um, And it will be the ESV, and the words will appear behind me on the screen. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. And there's a bit of wordplay here. Member can mean being member of, you know, a church, part of something. But also we describe our body parts as our members. And so that's what he's riffing on here. You know, the body isn't just one body part, but lots of them. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand... I don't belong to the body. That wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Uh, One of the commentators says we can drop the an here, and so just be like, if the whole body were eye, just rolling around. uh, Which I'm not going to demonstrate for you now. <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I've no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I've no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. 
Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And this is a a famous passage, and actually a a very old piece of uh, symbolism that, that Paul himself didn't make up. But it's important to see it in the context of, of the rest of the passage, the rest of the series, because Paul has just reeled off in verses 4 to 11 that John looked at last week, nine different spiritual gifts. And there are more than that besides, that the Spirit gives us to, him, to us as he wants to. And Paul starts this passage by saying, for, or because, just as, the gifts of the Spirit are a bit like a body. A human body, which, though, is just a single entity. There's not bits of me lying all over the place. I'm just one person. I am, in essence, and the body is, in essence, diverse, made up of many body parts, arms, legs. The point is the Spirit gives us gifts, not in isolation, but as a group. And that's what Paul's getting at here. And the problem in the Corinthian church um, was that they were overusing and uh, overemphasizing just one gift, uh, which was the gift of tongues, as we've seen, which is a fine gift, and we should earnestly pursue it. But Paul uses the, the graphic imagery we've seen to express how grotesque he thinks it would be just to be you know, just an eye rolling around. And you may be new to Grace Church, coming for a few weeks, and perhaps... You're asking yourself, why? Why do they always interrupt the worship just as it's getting going? Chris is singing beautifully, and then someone has to go and shout out. Why do they do that? Or or maybe, why does someone speak out in a language that no one else understands, only for someone else to then, you know, say it in English after all? What was the point? What a waste of breath. Sorry, Henry, it was was excellent. (laughs) Well done, Sam. The, The reason we do this is verse 12. Because the body is one, but has many parts. And we are one church and blessed with many spiritual gifts that cooperate in a magnificent and actually, I think, unexpected way. Because if we read on in verse 12, what does it say? You know, the body's one, has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with the church. Except it doesn't say that. It says, so it is with Christ. And I I make a a point of this because we can misread this whole passage if we see it as just an analogy of how we coexist with one another as a church. Because it is that, but it also reveals the truth that we, the church, are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Say it. I am the body of Christ. All right, technically, we are the body of Christ. Try again. I'm sorry, I led you down a dark path there. Paul himself learned this uh, truth on a journey to Syria. Uh, Several years before, at the time, he was called Saul. He wasn't a Christian. In fact, he was hunting down and murdering Christians. And then the risen Christ encountered him. Maybe you know the story. What does Jesus say to him? He says, Saul, Saul, 
Why are you persecuting me? Me. Jesus doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting me? We are identified as Christ's own body. And this is the big story of the Bible. That we have a God who is a God who comes to us. It's nearly Christmas. We'll be celebrating this again and again. That Jesus made himself to be just like us. To be found in a body just like ours. With our flesh, our frailty, and finally our death. And in his resurrection, we are made to be just like him. To be found in his body. Caught up in a promise of perfection. Ephesians 5, a similar passage says, No one ever hated his own flesh. No one hates his own body, but but nourishes it and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church. He sees us as his own body. And I hope I don't have to labor this point, but just worth saying, I know this isn't physically true. You know, I'm aware that I'm not a finger or something. I'm not that, okay? Just in case anyone was confused. And we know this because Ephesians, the passage I referenced, uh, talks about Jesus being the head of the church, which actually doesn't marry up with this one because it says that, you know, some of us are eyes and ears, which are part of the head. So we must be in the realm of metaphor, of, of picture language. Um, you know, we'll leave to one side the ridiculous image of Jesus as a floating head in heaven, something like Wizard of Oz, I don't know. And so we're not physically his body parts, but we really, really are how Jesus is recognized on the earth. Let me tell you what I mean. My friend Chris here, say he walks in in the morning. I know Chris, okay? I know uh, he's musical. I know he's a, a, a a firm friend, I know he's a, a good husband, and he's got a wacky sense of humor, and I also know he's got a growing trust and love for Steve Bruce. Who saw that coming? But I don't know that by looking at him. I know that by having spent time with him. But I know who he is when he walks in the door because of his slim figure, his extravagant quiff, <laughs> and, you know, his um, Eric Morecambe glasses. So. <laughs> Ratatata. Um, okay, and so that's how I know what he, who he is, by the way he looks. We recognize people by what we see. A body demonstrates who someone is. That's what we do for Jesus. And a body also defines what someone does. I have uh, recently taken to running to work. I want to have Chris's slim figure. Um, I should be more honest and say I've taken to intending to run to work <laughs> more often than not. Because in my mind, I, I, always, I always run to work, I, every day. But, uh, you know, in my mind, that's true. If my hands don't actually, you know, clothe myself with the sort of embarrassing Lycra running gear that you have, and, and if my legs don't actually take me out of the door, then... I don't run to work. Makes sense, doesn't it? I'm on the blower to to JP, like, quick, I need a lift, I've slept in again. Jesus 
has promised, it is in his mind, to build his church, to advance his kingdom. And in his wisdom, he does this through his body, through us. We are the body of Christ. And being the body of Christ defines both who we are and how we act. It's who we are and it's how we act. As I say, Paul didn't come up with this idea. Uh, It was very common in the ancient world uh, and was used mainly for explaining and enforcing social hierarchy. You know, you had the noble head, Caesar and the government, who must be served by the humble feet, uh, the slaves and foreigners. Paul then takes this symbol of suppression and turns it on its head and says in verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. If you've been baptized, you are part of Jesus. Whether you're Jew or Greek, slave or free, there's no difference. Those of high social standing are not greater than those of low income. Those of large spiritual gifting are not better than any in the church. So today, if you're a Christian, it doesn't matter if you're posh or poor. If you lead a home group or you're homeless, there is no greater dignity than being known by Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, as his own body. Being the body of Christ defines who we are and how we act. And this dignity, it's not individual. You know, we, we as a church bear the dignity of being his body. We are each individually members, body parts, but no one person is the body of Christ. Which means there's a place for you here. You belong here. Paul says in verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Which echoes uh, verse 11, which we didn't read. It says the Spirit gives gifts to each one individually as he wills. You are here on purpose. Just as the smallest bones of the body have been delicately placed in our inner, inner ears, so God has placed you here. If you're part of Grace Church Nottingham, you are here by divine design to be a member of this body, in this city, at this time. D.A. Carson uh, notes this. He says in the New Testament, characteristically, each local church isn't part of the whole church, but simply the church. I'll say that again. Each local church isn't part of the whole church, but simply the church. And then he explains it a different way. Each congregation isn't part of the body of Christ, It's not a body of Christ. Each congregation, each church is the body of Christ. Which means, Grace Church, we are the body of Christ. The body of Christ. We are charged with responsibility of being Christ with the world. Let's get this right. I love other churches. We are blessed in Nottingham to have so many good churches. St. Nick's, Vineyard. I'm going to get in trouble because I can't list them all. But they're all great. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I've lived in cities where that wasn't the case. But 
each church is the body of Christ. And that defines who we are and how we act. So what that means is you don't just have churches who are an, an arm church. You know, another church who's a, who's a leg church. It also means there's no such thing as a, a missional church. You know, a type that is specifically aimed at getting new people in. People who don't know Jesus yet. That's, that's what we do. We're a missional church. Also means you don't have then pastoral churches. Those who are, oh, well, we've got enough Christians. We'll just look after the ones we've already got. Christ exemplified both commission and compassion. And so must we. See, neither do we have word or spirit churches, social action or theological churches. As the body of Christ, we must engage in all these things as he did. Now, the different churches across the city and across the world are all called to different people groups, different contexts, so we each have our own vision. But I think we can say that if we see it in Jesus, we should see it in the local church, if we're the body of Christ. This, by the way, is is also why we call it church planting and not church starting, because they may not be a fully formed church yet. Just as, as a zygote, an embryo, is not an adult human, neither is a church plant yet a church. And we actually see this in the New Testament. Again and again, in the, in the Jerusalem church, in Acts 6, the apostles, they appoint faithful, spirit-filled men to carry out social justice in order that they, the apostles, might spend more time in preaching and teaching and studying. Because the church needs both. When Paul is sent to strengthen the early churches in Turkey. We see in in Galatians 2, he's told to remember the poor because the baby churches that he'd begun hadn't yet grown their spiritual arms. It's not to say that, you know, babies grow arms late. It's a bit weird, isn't it? How's your kid doing? Oh, he's got his first tooth. What about you? He's got his first arm. (laughs) Horrible. The mature body of Christ is purposed to preach the good news and to feed the hungry. And we can't do this individually. We need one another to carry out the giftings and callings that Jesus has given each one of us. And of course, of course, we do this in humility. We don't just shout the odds, I must do this, God has called me to do this, I've seen it in Jesus, therefore it has to be in the church, that's what Rick said on Sunday, blah, blah, blah. No. Barclay comments, whenever we begin to think about our own importance in the Christian church, the possibility of really Christian work is gone. We do this together in love. In love. Paul finishes our passage today with, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. I don't have time today. Ben's going to do that in a fortnight. But the excellent way, the best way to do this is not in calling or gifting, pride, boastfulness, it's in love. It's the way of Christ. We are humble. Because being the body of Christ defines who we are and how we act. So you're meant to be here. There's a place for you here. One of the commentators, um, our personal favorite, Anthony Thistleton, because he was a professor at Nottingham Uni, so he gets extra points. He says, 
It's an affront to Christ if a self-effacing or vulnerable Christian is made to feel second class or alienated, perhaps because she doesn't have what others see as the right gifts. It's a betrayal if he or she reaches the point of saying, I don't belong to the body, as we see in verse 15. If this has ever been your experience in church, I'm so sorry. If this has been your experience in Grace Church, I am so sorry. Jesus' Jesus' design for the church is not shame and isolation. His design for the church is that those whom he's designed find their purposed place. In verse 28, uh, Paul finishes the passage by lifting uh, many different uh, roles in the church uh, in order that you know, no one rules themselves out. He starts with apostles, prophets, teachers, you know, the foundations of a church, and then moves on to miracles, healing, administrating, tongues, helping. Um, interesting side note, the word we have administrating here is actually a bit more like um, steering a ship. So you might say if you're in a meeting and you're trying to move with the flow of the spirit, that kind of thing. The word we have helping is actually more akin to what we would think of as administration. So just maybe switch those around in your head. The point, though, is that there are gifts for everyone. And while not everyone has every gift, all gifts can be pursued by all. Not everyone has every gift, but all gifts can be pursued and by all. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has gifted you in such ways that are unlike anyone else. Do me a favor, just just for a moment, um, maybe close your eyes if it helps, but is there a thing that you do that you find really, really easy? And everyone else goes, wow, I don't know how you do that. That's gifting, actually. That's gifting. You know, is it that you, you vividly visualize pictures? I don't. Is it that you sing spiritual songs that were previously unuttered? Those are gifts. Or do you organize well? Do you like moving furniture like my friend Joel here? You get a kick out of that, don't you? Yeah? Weird. (laughs) Do you like making other people happy? That you find that stuff easy is not a sign that's of no value. It's a sign that you're gifted in it. And your gift, the way you're made, is essential. We see verse 22. It says, The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. When Paul's talking about the weaker uh, parts there, he's talking about the internal organs. Those parts of the body that aren't seen, that aren't flashy, but are the literal lifeblood of the church. If you've ever felt how you serve, how you give, is unnoticed or unneeded, it's not true. It's just not true. And Paul identifies here the great enemy to us, which is comparison comparing ourselves to one another. Comparison is a thief of joy, and comparison can cripple a church. In verses 15 to 16, um, you've got a foot, for example, that says, I'm not a hand, so I'm no use. You've got an ear that says, I'm not an eye, so I'm no use. No one notices me. No one cares what I do. 
I find it interesting that foot actually doesn't compare itself with the eye. Rather than, uh, it actually compares itself with the hand. And this is because eyes and feet are totally different organs. By the way, I'm not expecting this to be the big take-home point today. I'm assuming that most of you have a grasp on our anatomy, but I'm going I'm to labor the point anyway, because feet and hands are similar. Ooh. A-level dance, not wasted. <laughs> rat a -ta -ta. Um, <laughs> They are found at the end of limbs, and they have five digits. They're similar. But the hand is the glamorous cousin of the foot, is it not? Oh, everyone wants to be a hand. It can write. It can throw. It can catch. It can make music. You know, playing the guitar and writing with your feet are party tricks. How easy is it to compare ourselves to those who are most like us? You know, I, I so rarely am jealous of anyone's footballing ability. I've got Andrew here, he's excellent at it. I'm rubbish. That would be like me comparing a foot to an eye. I'm not good at sport generally but I'm a fair singer, and I can play guitar a bit, so you can be sure I've compared myself to Chris and been jealous. I'm sorry. But actually, if you were here to hear Chris's wonderful message, he reminded us of the, the musical term tombre, which means even though a saxophone and a piano can make the same sound, the same note in the same key, they will sound totally different because we are individually, distinctively made. And our individual contribution is from God. Oh God, Holy Spirit, come now to my friends and commune the love of the Father who says, Son, daughter, in you I am well pleased. I created you. I made you. I take joy in the way I have put you together. Rid us of comparison, I pray, Lord. Because the whole thing's a lie anyway. It's a nonsense. The reality is that the foot is a remarkable piece of the body. With it, we run. I dance. I try to play football. The ear, which Paul says tries to... The, I'm sorry. The ear is so much better than the mouth. The ear tries to discount itself by saying, well, I don't see, so I'm of no use. The ear is the only organ by which we appreciate Beethoven, Beyonce, or the Beatles. We need ears. We need feet. This is how comparison cripples churches when we begin to believe the lie that who we are is not what's needed. And so decide to remove ourselves. And our legs are literally swept out from underneath us. And what about the quote-unquote superior gifts? Well, comparison and competition are still rife. In verse 21, the eye is set up against the hand. It says, I've no need of you. Nonsense. The body is typified by diversity in unity. We need many types of gifts. If you're a highly gifted prophet, you can't say, well, we don't need wisdom because it was uttered by someone else. If you have a gift of healing, it doesn't mean we scorn those who teach. Just as each diverse body part has its own role, so in unity, 
We love, honour, and promote those who are gifted differently to us. You see, verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. When somebody wins a race, you don't just congratulate their legs. <laughs> well done, Roger. This is legs. The rest of you are just getting carried along. In anatomy, when one part of our body is sick, the rest of the body compensates, commiserates almost. We celebrate and mourn in unity because being the body of Christ defines who we are and how we act. And I just want to say, finding your place, your gifting, can take time. So I want to recommend to you our Discover Your Gifting course, which begins here on the 20th of November. You can sign up for that online. And if you're still exploring how the Spirit's gifted you, it's a great way to, to just probe that a little bit more. If, though, you know well how God has gifted you, and maybe you've moved into a new city, new context, new church, can I say, it might actually take some time before you know, you're really able to move again in what God has gifted you. You may well be a gifted hand, and you move to a new church and it's already got two hands, whatever that means. Well, it doesn't mean it's not the right church for you, but maybe God is calling you to exercise a new facet of gifting. And maybe if it's Grace Church, maybe he's calling you to patience. We're a dynamic, growing, church-planting church. There will be gaps. There will be new opportunities to serve. But while you're waiting to see where God's calling you, why not grab one of our serving books on the way out and see where you can fit in today? And the last thing I want to say is God knows what's done in secret. God knows what's done in secret. You feel like you've been ignored. He is the one who looks out for those who've been looked over. In verses 23 to 24, Paul demonstrates again the topsy-turvy gospel of Jesus Christ. In talking about our unpresentable parts, which we might call our, our private parts, he reminds us that actually we cover those parts with greater honor. And isn't that all our stories? Isn't that just like Jesus. Jesus who loves the weak, the less honorable, those in need. Doesn't he come to us in our nakedness and our shame and clothe us in righteousness and dignity? The word weaker here could be translated feebler. And I read this in Zechariah this week and I had to put it in. In that day, today, in the church, the feeblest shall be like King David and the house of David shall be like God. We get to be like Jesus, who is God. In our weakness, our feebleness, we offer gifts back to Christ and in him we are transformed into vital members of his body. Wow. The gospel is about our smallness 
and his bigness and that we get to share in it. Chris. Being the body of Christ defines who we are and how we act. And I just want to look finally, two chapters before Paul sets this up, 10, 16 to 17. He talks about communion. The cup of blessing that we bless, as in when we drink the juice, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. We are the body of Christ in communion. Because as Jesus allowed his body to be broken, he invites us to participate in his death and resurrection. As God's one and only Son gave up his life on the cross, we who are many become one in Christ.